hello there. I think you might pull up a chair. I think you can tell by the song by Cher, Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. <laughs> okay, what are we looking at here today? Well, this is such a big heist that I just could not resist covering it. And um, if you remember months ago, Months ago, I was talking about crypto being fake. Well, surprise, surprise. Okay, I have some notes here I want to go over with you, um, things that are relevant in scope of this scam. And I want to also talk about it because it speaks to the personality of how psychopaths operate, right? I've talked about this in the past. First thing they do is get to jump on somebody else by claiming that somebody else is really who they are, right? So... Who do people think of when they t think of countries that are most likely to scam you? Well, number one on the list is Nigeria. Nigeria is at the top of the list of the top 10 most scamming countries in the world with the highest rate of getting scammed. Number two, India. It's nearly impossible to visit India without encountering a scam or someone seeking to defraud you. Number three, China. Number four, Brazil. Number five, Pakistan. Number six, Indonesia. Number seven, Venezuela. Number eight, South Africa. You notice anything about these countries? Oh, I don't know. Maybe like the color of their skin? Yeah, that's why um, the, US, the U.S. government you know, like under Trump, declare that these were indeed, excuse my French, shithole countries, right? Well, who's the real shithole? <laughs> I might ask here, right? Okay, and so I was looking at some other data because you're going to be hearing a lot of things in the news, and I saw a few things that seemed to kind of be not getting included here, you know, like how the robbery actually probably happened. So what are some of the biggest financial scandals the biggest in history. Um, number one was Enron, and I'll have a little more data about that. Number two, WorldCom. Number three, Mission Bubble, and I'm a little bit confused about that. Mission Bubble is one of the first documented financial scandals, and it was called Missis oh, excuse me, Mississippi Bubble. It was only one. It was one of the strangest stories in the history of finance, involving an eccentric Scottish economist the French economy, and one of the first banks to issue paper currency. For some reason, the Duke of Orleans, who was acting as regent in France, appointed John Law, a fugitive from England, as de facto minister of finance. So yeah, if you want more, look up Mississippi Bubble. That was one of their first ones, okay. Then we also have the Charles Ponzi, where we got the name Ponzi scheme from, and Bernie Madoff, of course, was a big one. The 2008 financial crisis, which led to that depression. And let me go down here. Um, one of the first ones, um, I had a little bit of information about this um, um, Mississippi bubble because it was kind of interesting. France's economy was crippled by debt. This would be back in the 1800 time frame. And Law, this John Law person, was given the authority to fix it. One of the solutions he pursued was setting up government-controlled monopolies to generate revenue for the state. Another was setting up a new bank that issued paper currency. 
still a novelty at the time. One of the monopolies that law established was the Mississippi Company, which would consolidate the trading companies in Louisiana into one entity. Law was allowed to issue 50,000 shares, but investors only needed to put down a deposit equal to 15% of the share price. Investors flocked to buy shares, and Law was able to issue another 300,000 shares. Within months, the share price rose from 500 to 10,000. It's called Levers, L-I-V-R-E-S. Law raised so much money that he was able to lend the French government enough money to pay off the national debt. The problem was that so much cash was required for investors to buy the shares that Law's bank had to print more money. When Law realized that both the currency and the share price were inflated, he tried to devalue both in a controlled manner. Unfortunately, this resulted in a selling frenzy, with investors trying to sell their shares and then exchange the currency for gold. In the end, the company collapsed, and both the shares and France's currency became worthless. Widespread unrest followed, and Law, who had been sacked, had to flee to Paris and go into hiding. So that was the one of their earliest ones called Mississippi Bubble. Okay, lots of more information online, kids, lots of information. Okay, the next one, and we keep hearing the name Ponzi. It came from a person named Charles Ponzi, but I've talked about this in the past. It actually, the scheme deal started in the 1800s out of Germany, but Ponzi is the name we hear the most. Ponzi had a reputation as a con artist long before the scheme that made him famous. But it's worth mentioning because it was such a big story at the time that certain types of pyramid schemes are now known as Ponzi schemes. In 1919, Ponzi came up with a plan to trade international rely coupons, also known as IRC. These are coupons that can be exchanged for postage stamps. He believed there was an opportunity to buy discounted IRCs in Europe and then exchange them at face value in the United States. He raised money from investors promising a 100% return within 90 days. The scheme quickly gained traction and he was easily able to raise more capital. At one point he was attracting as much as a million dollars a day. This was in 1919. In reality, though, the scheme very quickly became too big to be feasible. But Ponzi found that he could easily pay the promised returns to investors from new investors. And that mostly reinvested the money in the scheme anyway. In fact, he had so much money flowing into the scheme that he could live an extravagant lifestyle. But the scheme collapsed within a year when a series of articles in the Boston Post caused investors to demand their money back. Ponzi ended up spending time in prison, but amazingly launched another scam as soon as he was released. Ponzi schemes are pyramid scheme and pyramid schemes are illegal in most countries. They are similar in that both this is Ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes, okay? They are similar in that both pay returns to investors using capital from new investors, 
and both are unsustainable. The difference is that a Ponzi scheme has one central operator recruiting investors, while a pyramid scheme encourages each investor to recruit new investors. So yeah, and then now I want to talk a little bit about what they call the Great Financial Crisis, or GFC, of 2008. That is typically, and that we haven't come out of the 2008 thing, okay? This is why we're talking about it today. We're still on the other side of this 2008. But remember, don't take financial advice from me. I don't have enough crooked brains in my head to really figure out all of this stuff. But what I find fascinating is that they rob their own people. Um, they probably rob their own relatives in all these deals. Um, the lust for money is just incredible to me. And also when you couch that with money is all fake, right? That makes it even more incredible to me that people will commit crimes, rob and rape each other and stuff. Life for money that somebody printed up. So I need to stop talking about that. Let me get back in here. So, okay, 2008 is typically regarded as an economic crisis and not counted among financial scandals. However, amongst the many causes of the crisis is a long list of unethical behavior, conflicts of interest, and corporate fraud. For a start, rating agencies were paid by issuers to give them very risky security investments grade credit ratings. So it first starts off with these rating agencies, and now they're dealing with these other agencies, the you know the environmental ones. So these rating agencies were paid by these people to give good credit ratings. Okay, this presented a conflict of interest as rating agencies had a financial incentive to overlook the true risk a security carried. Next, mortgage originators encouraged home buyers to exaggerate their assets and income to ensure mortgage applications were approved. They also used aggressive sales tactics to sell mortgages. Later, banks were found to be illegally foreclosing on properties. A lot of people who had nothing to do with any of this lost their property. Banks sold securities to investors that they knew to be incredibly risky. In some cases, banks were short selling the same the same they were short selling the same securities they were promoting to fund managers. Banks also created synthetic products to help hedge funds bet against the mortgage market. One of the biggest catalysts for the financial crisis was Lehman Brothers, which filed for bankruptcy when it could not be bailed out. One of the factors that contributed to the demise of the bank was a very dubious method of valuing repurchase agreements on its balance sheet. A loophole in the accounting standard allowed them to use repurchase agreements to hide the true extent of their leverage and debt. All of these companies with ethical issues contributed to the crisis, which as we know resulted in a major stock market crash and recession. Most people regard the GFC as a black swan event, but for those who are watching closely there are plenty of investment warning signs and red flags. 
Yes, aren't there always red flags? So, um, I look back to figure out what their his historians had to say, and they said, long before the Nigerians came the Romans, you who will forever prove the most remarkable of people, were mesmerized by their civilization precisely because we can find many parallels with our own, and the Romans were true pioneers in the art of the scam. Around 193 AD, the emperor's loyal group of soldiers known as Praetorian, P-R-E-T-O-R-I-A-N, guard, killed the reigning emperor and decided to auction the empire to the highest bidder. Juliana stepped up, paying 250 gold pieces for every soldier in the process, roughly a billion in total in present-day valuation before he was quickly quickly disposed of as the soldiers had sold something that simply didn't belong to them. So, we introduced several things in these histories, right? They introduced the idea that money is even real, that we ever even needed money to trade things. I would argue that money is something that most of us, from wherever we came from, had no experience with, okay? And then, so they, they come up with a story saying that the Nigerians are the most scammy, but before them came the Romans, okay? And then the next one was his name I've said for, they actually did a Netflix documentary about it. Okay, it was the first banking blunder. In 1494, the most powerful bank in the world failed, and it, it as owned by the Medici, M-E-D-I-C-I family, they have their own Netflix show, by the way. It might shock you to find that the largest, most influential bank in the world at the time ran large debts due to the family's obscenely expensive lifestyle and poor management skills, failing after a 97-year rule. The good news is that since then, no other bank has been found to be gambling away its customer savings. Just kidding. <laughs> The fall of the Medici Bank, Medici Bank started an unfortunate tradition that is as prevalent as ever in today's society. Keep stuff in your savings under your mattress. Okay, um, the next, next one, because I have talked about Louisiana almost incessantly, and Louisiana, I never have figured it out yet. The French originated some money in Louisiana and I'll have to think about what it was, but it didn't last long, but somewhere it's probably buried in this stuff. So, 18th century development scheme in the swamps of Louisiana. Oh, I already talked about this guy. Um, yeah, I already talked about him. Charles Law. He was in my intro. That was a scheme for Louisiana. Oh, it was called Dix Money. D-I-X Money. Dix Money somehow is in this picture, but I don't know where. Okay, so, and I talked about uh, Ponzi. Oh, there was also a guy who tried to sell the Eiffel Tower for scrap metal. Uh, oh, there was one guy I thought kind of interesting. Um, Ivar Kruger, K-R-E-U-G-E-R, -E -E king of the Roaring Twenties. Ivan Kruger had a pretty awesome life. He owned banks, film companies, newspapers, mines, telephone companies, and railways, 
So when he decided to form a monopoly to control all aspects of production and distribution of safety matches, every bank in the world wanted to get on the action. What they didn't know is that his empire only existed on paper as he moved money around his companies to keep the appearance of profitability. His scam barely survived the Great Depression, but in 1932 he recognized it was end of the line. He shot himself after having defrauded investors of a half a billion dollars. Half a billion dollars in 1932. Okay, I don't know these other people that significant, but um, actually, because there are billions of dollars involved back then, I'll go ahead and tell you the story just out of context. In 1839, a landowner by the name of Colonel Baker died, presumably leaving behind an estate which was valued in excess of $3 billion, as it comprised the entire area of present-day Philadelphia. William Cameron Morrow Smith formed a legal association open to everyone who shared a surname with Colonel Baker with the express purpose of funding the legal battle to recover the assets the Colonel left behind. Everyone had to pay nominal fee to join the club, but the promised returns but but the promised returns if the legal proceedings were successful made this this fee seem negligible. Unfortunately, Colonel Baker was a product of fiction. Smith and his buddies managed to bring in nearly $25 million before the scheme was shut down by the authorities in 1936. Okay, um, this was a good one because everybody loves Oprah, right? Um, let me see. There is this um, ZZZZ carpet cleaning. Young Wall Street superstar Barry Minkoff was living the dream. He was the talk of the town in the financial world and even had an appearance on Oprah's couch. His industry, his industrial carpet cleaning company, ZZZZ Best, burst onto the scene, achieving a ridiculous $200 million valuation at his height. In the end, ZZZZ best turned out to be a front for an investment company engaged in, yes you guessed it, a Ponzi scheme. When it was exposed in 1987, the stock dropped to zero and Barry was sentenced to 25 years of bending over for soap. <laughs> and you all have heard that movie, um, Wolf of Wall Street. The insider scam run by Ivan Boski allowed him to go from deal to deal until he ended up with more than $200 million in his bank account, all as a result of betting on corporate takeovers only a few days before the announcement of the acquisition. Like every rich guy caught in funny business before and after him, Boski made a deal with the SAC, SEC meaning he only had to serve two years in prison, along with a $100 million fine for his transgression. This was merely a portion of the fortune he amassed with his frauds and scams to be pretty much got the last laugh. Plus, he made that book and made all the money rights. Where do you think all this money goes? Have you, have you been thinking about that, kids? I think
think these people are simply fronts for the city of London, right? Okay. Um, these aren't that important. Um, the reason we have government regulation in financial institutions. Now, this was a very famous case, and this case is why they put government regulations. <laughs> it's hard to say that without laughing. Because of this case, they had to put government regulations in financial institutions. So I'm sure you can start to imagine how well that's been going, right? Due to his shameless behavior, Charles Keating, K-E-A-T-I-N-J, became the face of a group of fraudsters operating under the guise of savings and loan institutions. These companies benefited from op operating just like banks, apart from the fact they were completely unregulated and free to do as they please. The scam was pretty simple. Keating told his investors their money was being invested in top-quality assets while it was actually being used to enrich greedy, greedy corporate oxygen wasters. His Lincoln La Savings and Loan Association mishap cost the U.S. government over $3 billion and 23,000 customers lost their money. So then we have Enron, okay, and I have some figures on Enron and because I, I think this FTX thing is, is going to be the biggest one, but let me go through a couple more of these. Okay, we had a couple characters called Jeffrey Skilling and Kenneth Lay, L-A-Y. He was the one that was so fond, um, George Bush was so fond of Kenneth Lay, Kenny Boy, I think he called him. The company employed over 20,000 people and claimed revenues of more than $100 billion a year before its collapse. Greed was heavily incentivized, and Enron actively promoted a cutthroat environment where the bottom 10 to 15% at the end of the year got sacked. So every year they, they fired 10 to 15% of the people they didn't deem worthy. In the auditing fail of the century, Enron's financial situation revealed itself to be the product of fictitious accounting where mountains of debt had been hidden from investors and auditors alike. The largest corporate bankruptcy in American history at the time dragged the process, dragged the previously reputable accounting firm Anderson, Arthur Anderson down in the process. And I think one more I want to talk about before I get to Bernie Madoff. We had WorldCom. WorldCom filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in July 2002. It became the largest accounting fraud and corporate fail in U.S. history. Now, remember, I haven't put these in date orders. <laughs> this was at the time it was the biggest one. Okay, um... The telecommunications Bahamas immediately closed its doors after it fell prey to this guy, CEO Bernard Evers, was the one they pegged as the, the real crook here, right? It's amazing because I, I guess no one stops to think that. How exactly do things like, oh, I don't know, all these things take place? We have Elizabeth Holmes doing a big ripoff. We have FTX. Um, and then people act like, well, it was just this one person doing this? Okay. Okay, whatever you have to say. Bonnie Ma Bernie Madoff. 
$64.8 billion pyramid. Okay. So, um, several people in the industry have said they always knew his $18 billion fund was a scam, a fact which Madoff himself has confirmed. His only mistake, let me see, instead of sticking to screwing working people out of their money like any sane financial institution would do, Bernie's fund procured investment from some of the richest and most powerful wallets in the world. The result, invested, investment banks were being bailed left, right, and center from their criminal wrongdoings and their executives paying themselves ever-increasing bonuses with the bailout money they received. Bernie was the only one who landed in jail, supposedly. Okay. So you, you heard that part about they went from robbing poor people, working class people, to the rich, okay? Okay, you're going to hear a lot of references to Lehman Brothers. Um, Lehman Brothers came crashing down September 2008. Um, and we also had Bear Stearns also went down at that same time. Bear Stearns went down six months before Lehman, okay? When it filed for bankruptcy, Lehman Brothers was essentially a real estate hedge fund disguised as an investment bank. Now, they did the same kind of thing to people in China. They got a lot of people in villages to invest in banks, which were really not really accredited banks. So they, they could use these tricks in many parts of the world. So um, it was a real estate hedge fund disguised as an investment bank. When the U.S. government refused to extend a loan, Lehman's bankruptcy brought on the biggest financial crisis in history. Regulations which had previously been put in place to prevent this had been rolled back. They were restored after the 2008. <laughs> okay, now let's talk about FTX. Well, first let me tell you, Enron accounted for about $74 billion, okay? Lehman Brothers is $3.9 billion. FTX is going to likely be a lot more than all of this, okay? Um, so $74 billion for Enron, $3.9 for Lehman, okay? And, um, and you can't even calculate the pain and suffering of all the people that went down with this deal. Um, FTX, which at its peak, was the third largest cryptocurrency exchange. They filed for Chapter 11 on Friday. <clears throat> Today's the 16th, so that was last Friday. And the, I think it was last Friday. Anyway, the company confirmed over the weekend that millions of dollars worth of assets were unaccounted for. I think what they do in a lot of these cases, you know, all the attorneys come in. So a lot of, a lot of these assets get spent on fees and things, right? That would, in my suspicious mind, go directly back into their own pockets, right? Because legal fees usually suck down a lot of this money. So, um, and it's all in the words, right? Sam Bankman fried. What did he do? Did he fry banks? The banks were fried by Sam? 
The company's founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, faces allegations that he secretly transferred $10 billion from FTX to Alameda Research, his hedge fund that also filed for bankruptcy. The company is facing a criminal probe in the Bahamas. Well, good luck on that deal. Okay, uh, and then I want to show you how these frauds work, okay? And then some of the ones who people seem to admire come to the rescue. Like, for example, Obama recently was coming to the rescue of Biden to pitch him as being a great next president. Well, everybody kind of seems to overlook the thing about, oh, I don't know, the fact that Obama murdered more people than any of our U.S. presidents, right? But then he still holds the position in this country as a great president. So, so you'll hear the name Larry Summers show up. Larry Summers, okay? Larry Summers was a former Secretary of the Treasury. Larry Summers has his own past. Just do a search for Larry Summers and the Harvard deal. He lost Harvard like a billion dollars. So anyway, always good to put these things into context, right? So he, he's, he's, he gets quoted when all these things happen, right? And they're the biggest crooks themselves, but they always bring out their other crooks to quote them. Okay. Former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers likened the swift collapse of Sam Bankman's Sam Bankman Fry's crypto trading platform FTX to the infamous Enron scandal of more than 20 years ago, saying that both involved cases where people detected whiffs of fraud. <laughs> A lot of people have compared this to Lehman. I would, this is Larry talking, not me. I would compare it to Enron, Summers told Bloomberg News. The smartest guys in the room, not just financial air, but certainly from the reports, Whiffs of fraud. Enron was a Texas-based energy trader and supplier that used off-the-books accounting practices to fool regulators into thinking it was more profitable than it actually was. Enron's collapse put more than 5,000 people out of work, wiped out more than $2 billion in employee pensions, and rendered worthless $60 billion in Enron stock. And up until the last minute, Enron was convincing those same employees to keep investing their retirement money into Enron. They're all about rug pulling. You know how you pull a rug out from somebody, building up fake hope, tricks and dreams, and then they yank that rug out at the last minute. Okay. Lehman Brothers was once the fourth... Well, I'm continuing on with this story. <laughs> Came up with a new... Lehman Brothers was once the fourth largest investment bank in the U.S. And remember, it was an investment bank hiding as a hedge fund, right? <laughs> it filed for bankruptcy after it was involved in the subprime mortgage crisis that triggered a collapse in the housing market and a worldwide recession. FTX filed for bankruptcy protection on Friday after Bankman Fried, who fried the bank, allegedly used customer funds initially earmarked for crypto investments to make risky bets through a sister company, Alameda Research. And these people are as fishy as they can be. He sat there playing video games while he was talking to investors. All of these institutional investors, this is how they play, right? They are thugs in very expensive suits. They're the same gypsy horrors that they always have been. And I'll get off my own opinions right now. <laughs> They are nothing but, uh, okay, let me stop here. Let me get back where I was going here. So, um, 
Bankman Fried, the guy who fried the bank, stepped down as CEO. Him and his company were under federal investigation. Summers also cited stadium namings very early in a custom company's history because they named a stadium after the company, okay? So this Larry Summers guy said that stadium namings very early in a company's history as well as vast explosion of wealth that nobody quite understands where it comes from. The former Clinton administration official was referring to the FTX Arena, the home of the Miami Heat basketball team. Okay, the Heat and Day County released a joint statement on Friday announcing that they ended their business ties with FTX and would be looking for a new naming partner. In March, FTX acquired the naming rights to the arena, which for years was known as American Airlines Arena, for $135 million. Okay, as part of the deal, the FTX logo was painted on top of the roof of the building. They are just nothing but low-class thugs. Okay, um, FTX made $1.02 billion revenue in 2021 a massive increase on the $85 million it reported in 2020. So in one year, they went from $85 million to $1.2 billion, as in billions, right? It has over 1 million users on its mobile and desktop platforms. Peak 24-hour trading volume has reached $21 billion in 2021. FTX managed $385 billion annual crypto trading volume in 2020. Lots of money here, right? Sam, Sam, the man who fried the bank, or also known as SBF, was one of the good guys at crypto. He was what, what everyone wanted a crypto billionaire to be. Uh, are you starting to notice a trend here with these billionaires they say are the good guys? A young, he's 30 now, but he was 25 when he founded his crypto hedge fund, Alameda Research. His desire to earn more, he said, was only because it would enable him to donate to good causes. That was the only reason he wanted to donate money. He was a genius, an MIT undergraduate, gifted high school mathematician, and he also vowed investors on a Zoom call while playing video games in another tab. He also sat there and ate snacks too, okay? SBF, SBF, or Sam who fried the bank, cared about doing things right. He worked with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to draw up model legislation for regulating the cryptocurrency sector. Yeah, he appeared in front of Congress and said, hey, leave it to me. I will help you clean up this industry. And he tried to use his own money to improve the world. He promised a billion dollars to the Democratic Party, committed to donating the vast amounts of his fortune to the effective altruism movement, underwrote essay prizes, and evangelized for philanthropy. So what a good guy, right? He even managed to keep his good name as a crapto crash star to bite. While others might have been able to siphon off profit from retail investors, he bought up the shattered remains of consumer 
consumer-facing non-banks and promise to protect their consumer deposits. Almost starting to sound like, who was that other person? Um, Superman running around to help the poor? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I keep hoping that I'll find something that made these people so smart and how they tricked us and stuff, but this is such elementary stuff. It keeps happening over and over and over again. Um, SBF didn't have a string of failed companies behind him. He hadn't built his riches by launching dubious assets and riding a speculative wave, wave to wealth. Instead, he'd managed a career that seemed as close to conventional finance as you could get in the crypto industry. He started with a hedge fund, executing smart and cautious trades to spot market behavior that could be pushed for a profit. His famous first trade was an attempt to close a kim kimchi premium. The persistent difference between Bitcoin prices in Korea and America is called the kimchi, K-I-M-C-H-I premium. Profiting is less about noticing it. The differences are plain as day and more about solving the logistics hurdle you can get from money from Korea to America. Buy Bitcoin in the U.S., sell it as a profit in Korea, and repeat it. So, uh, I don't know. It says, um, can you do it without, without your accounts being frozen, without being arrested for suspected money? Yeah, I don't know. I think that... Um, he was basically just doing funds between countries. Um, then you grow your fund until you're big enough that you can start to make money simply by being the largest player willing to commit big sums of crypto. The hedge fund became famous for yield farming, what was profiting from crypto assets that promises a pseudo interest rate to those who held them, and scale begat scale. He then launched a crypto exchange because why gamble in the casino when you can run one? The trade was the exchange in the Bahamas where trading strategies can be attempted unencumbered by American regulators and one in the U.S. where a much stricter set of rules allow crypto novices an on-ramp to the sector, sending cash directly from their bank account. So they just set up a two-layer two, two fraud, right? Because that's in the beginning you were hearing that, oh, crypto U.S. is bankrupt, but that one isn't. Well, they were just funneling money. When you're running the exchange, you can step further back from the unseemly cold, fa cold face of crypto, profiting merely by taking fees from other people and cashing in on your strong and stable reputation. FTX was, by some measures, the second largest in the world. And although its offshore nature meant it could never be claimed to be the cleanest of all operations, it stood in contrast to the larger Binance run by another guy known as CZ. So yeah, he looked like the least dirty of the two, right? It all got started by supposedly a leak. And I will be getting here soon to the lead of why this is even happening in the first place, okay? Outside of sheer robbery, making people miserable, they have a plan here. On Saturday, that would be a couple days ago, the Financial Times published a leaked spreadsheet put together by FTX on Thursday listing the company's assets and liabilities. The document showed that the company had less than $1 billion in liquid assets against almost $9 billion in liabilities. 
Um, so, um, where did all this money go? Well, part of the thing you're not going to hear much in the news that you might want to look for yourself on is um, there's allegations, okay? <clears throat> well, first of all, the World Economic Forum was a sponsor of FTX, okay? They just took their website down. I grabbed a screenshot of it, but the World Economic Forum was <laughs> involved in this crypto thing, okay? And I'm not going to go into every single... I'm just going to give you the overview because this could be very time-taxing and <laughs> fruitless because there's a million scams going on within this one scam. How I think it happened was they took... Well, anyway, so Ukraine is now coming out and denying that this happened, okay? So let me give you Ukraine side of the story first, okay? You, because what happened was <clears throat> it looks to me... <coughs> excuse me. It looks to me like... They were laundering money from U.S. tax dollars into um, into Bitcoin, feeding the Bitcoin into Ukraine. Anyway, so <laughs> somehow, whoops, it's all gone. Okay, <clears throat> so let me tell you Ukraine's side of the story. <coughs> Excuse me, they just came out with an official statement. I think it was yesterday. Ukraine official refutes FTX Ukraine money laundering rumors. The deputy crypto chief of Ukrainian government says war-torn country used FTX only as a fiat on-ramp, okay? And remember, FTX, they have no money, okay? What they did was between them and Alameda, they came up with these coins, and so they put this value on the coin, and they said, okay, this one coin's worth a billion. (laughs) This is so out of the thin air stuff that I really can't even explain to you because it is so friggin' simple, okay? They said they had this thing had value. Then they went out and raised money. This is how they do every one of their scams. This is how Silicon Valley has created all these companies built on air, dust, and scams. Anyway, I can't even start going there right now. Okay, so Alex Bonakov, Deputy Minister of Digital Transformation Digital Transformation of Ukraine took to Twitter Monday night to officially deny a conspiracy theory around the country's crypto fundraising effort. A fundraising crypto foundation, it was called At Aid for Ukraine, used FTX official to convert crypto donations into fiat in March. Ukraine's government never invested any funds into FTX. The whole narrative, he's still talking here, the whole narrative that Ukraine allegedly invested in FTX who donated money to Democrats is nonsense, frankly. He tweeted, ending with a facepalm emoji. Last week, a theory spread on Twitter and right-wing websites suggesting the U.S. government's massive aid to the besieged nation rebounded to the Democratic Party via the failed FTX crypto exchange, which was an official partner of Ukrainian government for the crypto fundraising campaign. FTX filed for bankruptcy following Coindesk's report that the balance sheet of FTX sister company, Alameda Research held a surprisingly large amount of FTT. 
an exchange token issued by FTX. So FTX issued these coins called FTT, just out of thin air. And Alameda, which was also owned by FTX, <laughs> have these coins. Soon after that, FTT tanked, spiraling a crisis of liquidity on the exchange and a collapse in the company's value. Neither Ukrainian government nor FTX ever announced an investment event of any sort. And he went on to say, this is a catcher here, such a move would have been extravagant for a nation fielding a full-scale military invasion from Russia using military and financial aid from the U.S., EU, U.K., and other countries. So he's saying that it really would have been crazy to have taken this money. Ukraine, which has raised hundreds of millions in crypto this spring, in addition to a traditional fiat campaign to support its military and civilian population, partnered with FTX in March to cash out crypto donations and turn them into ammunition and humanitarian aid. FTX, along with the Ukraine exchange Kuna, K-U-N-A, became a platform for turning crypto into actual goods for the nation at war. As Coindesk earlier reported, FTX was used as a platform for merchants which would register an account and receive payment for their goods in crypto then those merchants could immediately turn it into fiat if they wanted, according to the technical lead of Ukraine's government's crypto fundraiser. So I don't know. Um, all this stuff is shuffling around, right? Um, so there's all these sides, right? Um, Sam... The man who fried the banks was born in 1992 on the campus of Stanford University into a family of academics. Born and raised to an upper middle class Jewish family in California. He is the son of Barbara Fried and Joseph Bankman, both professors at Stanford Law School. These people certainly seem pretty educated and not have, <coughs> not have any idea what's going on, but anyway... His aunt, Linda P. Fried, is the current dean of Columbia University, <clears throat> excuse me, Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health. His brother, Gabe Bankman Fried, is a former Wall Street trader and director of the nonprofit Guarding Against Pandemics. Sam, the boy who robbed the banks or fried the banks, was the second largest individual individual donor to Democratic causes in 2021 to 2022 cycle, with total donations of 39.8 million, only behind George Soros. Of this, 27 million was given to Protect Our Future PAC, which is controlled by Bankman Fried. So they set up these PACs. And that's how they start to funnel off the money. Um, and this is the part that I thought was highly interesting. Who is handling the bankruptcy? Well, none other than this person named John J-O-N-J-J-Ray, R-A-Y, the third. 
He just happened to be in charge of liquidating Enron. Okay, and now on YouTube, the financial gurus are running like rats off of ships for all of the um, money they took from FTX. FTX was just flooding the market with ad revenue, okay? And these very same, you know, what they do is they do this kid-on-kid marketing. So, <clears throat> because people are, are, are really stupid enough to think that they're running from mainstream media right into their arms. They just put up these kids in t-shirts with microphones to slyly hand out financial advice while they're pumping and dumping themselves. And so, yeah, the, hopefully they'll turn on them. But who knows? People love the liars, right? And, you know, it all started because these kids had been pumping, dumping on, into, on um, YouTube, getting kids to use their stimulus money to invest in stocks. So, essentially, any money that a lot of young people got paid out of um, the government got into worthless investments, which they're now going to be long-suffering for because now they're not going to have that money to buy food and goods. So, I will stop right there. So, yeah, they're all jumping like rats off a ship right now, okay? That whole group of them. All of them, little liars, little psychopaths. So why is all this happening? Why is all this happening, you ask? Is this just some random thing out of the sky that this crypto thing blew up? Well, of course not. It's all part of the plan. This is not the bug in the system. This is the plan. This is the exact plan. Because this is like one last robbery before they totally try to control us with their own version of money. Why would I be saying that? Well, because I have eyes and I look around. Who was the first to come out and say it directly? Well, that woman or man, however you want to look at it, that tall, gray-haired Christine Lagarde, she was with the IMF and now she's running the European Central Bank. See how they all rotate around, right? There's not that many of them, and that's what's so interesting about all this, how they got us in this corner. And remember, up until right now, no weapons have been engaged now, have they? Has anybody had to use a weapon to get people to turn over their money and be robbed by these people? No, of course not. These are the slick versions that we're looking at here, okay? They have figured out how to rob people using a writing pen versus a weapon. So let me read you this quote. And then I'll close off here because i got to get back to all this other Bible stuff. Which is fascinating because that's where I think we got the thing for money, but... Let me move on here. Okay. European Central Bank to use digital euro to combat threats like Bitcoin and stable coins. European Central Bank has continued to develop its central bank digital currency, the digital euro, focusing on privacy as a significant aspect. What do I say, kids? Well, what do you hear me say the most? Evil has to come packaged as hell. Executive board member Fabio Pantella stated that the central bank has no commercial interest in storing or monetizing users' data. <laughs> that should make you feel safe. The launch of the digital euro aims to protect users against private stable coins and other cryptocurrencies. Now, how often does this exactly happen that they come up with some horrific cure? But I'll get off of that. I'm going to play you this song right now. It's called Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world. Are you going to go down being like one of them? Why, why doesn't 
everybody like to be who they are. Everybody wants to be like these people, and that's what drives this money boat. They want to have those expensive cars and live those worthless lives. <laughs> I don't know. Everybody wants to rule the world. If these people are your friends, I'd be thinking about your choices. But anyway, be safe out there. Goodbye for now. Thank you.